Jolly Yeager to Jagger wants it back. He gets it back and leaves it through for Holby. Oh, it's off the line. It's off the line. What's up, guys, and welcome back to the Off the Line podcast brought to you by Your Football Journal. I'm Caleb John, and joining me today, like always, is Mr. George Follows and Mr. Vishnu G. How are you guys doing? Doing okay, Caleb. How are you? How are you? How are you? <laughs> I mean, hoping things will get better. This is only in respects of uh, my team, United. Everything else is doing absolutely brilliant. Vishnu, how's it going? Going good, Caleb. We had a good transfer, so I'm happy. Yes, and this is a transfer special episode of the Off the Line podcast. So we're going to be, you know, just talking about most of the teams in the Premier League. We're going to have two parts, and this is part one where we're going to talk about. Uh, we're going to start with Chelsea, who arguably won the transfer um, transfer window. This window, and uh, let's drive right into it with your thoughts, Vishnu, being a Chelsea fan. What do you think about your team's transfer window? Yeah, so I think definitely, at least from a, a player incoming point of view, Chelsea definitely are one of the best in the uh, in Europe and definitely the best in the league. So just before we get into Chelsea, I think it's we can touch upon how it came about and why Chelsea were in such a strong position going into this window. So with especially after the Corona crisis with a lot of clubs being cash trapped and with the loss of match day revenue and even football being brought to a standstill uh, in the early days of the coronavirus. Uh, this was sort of a bias market in the sense that a lot of clubs were looking to sell and raise money, whereas uh, clubs, uh, especially Chelsea, had uh, a transfer ban last season and they hadn't spent again in January. So coming into this window, they had a lot of liquid cash and that brought us into a very advantageous position leading up to the window. So I think the board, along with the owner, had a clear plan to attack in this window so that we can do enough damage and build our squad, especially after a uh, lot of deadwood signed uh, in the last few windows. So uh, judging by the incomings, we have players like Werner, Havertz, Chilwell, Thiago Silva, Edward Mendy, Malangsar, and I think I might am I leaving out anyone? I guess not. But yeah, so just by the incomings, I think uh, Chelsea did a really good job in addressing a lot of uh, gaps in the squad, especially at keeper and left back. The attacking talent just show like shows the uh, vision towards building a squad for the future, and I think. Uh, leaves us in a very good shape going forward as well. Uh, but from the outgoings, I think now the squad is a bit bloated in the sense that there were a lot of so-called deadwood players who were still at Chelsea and were not able to be moved on. Like Now we have three left-backs and five centre-backs. So that's not ideal. But again, January comes soon. So I hope that we can move a couple of players on there. Certainly, Chelsea have done really good business. You actually missed out on Hakim Ziyech, uh, who joined oh, yeah. in Jan- yeah. in January, but we haven't seen him yet. He, I'm most excited to see him in the Premier League. He reminds me of like, actually, I yeah, know I think- who reminds me of. He's just like a brilliant player, and uh, always had fun watching him at Ajax. Yeah, he plays on the right wing, and he'll cut inside, and he has that signature diagonal pass like at the Ajax it was Quincy Promise on the other wing who would like get on the end of it and score goals I'm hoping either Pulisic or Timo or whoever's playing on that side will get a lot of goals and this is the link up we can see more of when didn't they, didn't they score a goal like that against Chelsea in the Champions League where is he at I think it was a yeah, yeah 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 I think Quincy Promise scored that Quincy Promise scored that yeah yeah, yeah. would you like to see Werner play off that left though he is, you know, tried and twisted as an out-and-out striker. Uh, so, I think Werner is uh, best played along with a sort of physical striker as sort of a second striker rather than as an out-and-out centre-forward. Uh, he is 
he's played as a striker in the national team with germany where he plays in the center forward position but in leipzig predominantly he had either of patrick schick or yusuf polson as the target man and he would just play off them drifting off and towards the left so the left wing is certainly a possibility as a lone target man or lone striker i i'm not sure if that's his best position so it'll be interesting to see how lampard prefers to use him i mean that front three is actually going to be pretty lethal with polisic wona and uh, ch you know they're going to get in behind most defenses without any any problems all so pacey and so you know explosive in their play yeah i think uh, chelsea are trying to build their team around havertz so havertz is best position as a number 10 so that means almost certainly we'll have to play a 4231 and as you said then the front three then becomes pulisic werner zh with havertz in that number 10 role and that that's going to be deadly yeah that that that's, sounds very exciting just wish the we can see them as soon as possible Uh, let me just ask you one more question about Chelsea. Do you think he needed, you know, some sort of cover for that Jorginho position because he doesn't have always the most inspiring game, if you will, in midfield? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, that was also an area that was identified as sort of a requirement, especially with the rumors of Declan Rice, who is sort of that sit-and-screen sort of defensive midfielder, and especially playing in a double pivot, we already have Kante, who can play. Uh, who was that like in a two man pivot he's one and someone who can complement and certainly jorginho or even kovacic isn't ideal you would want someone who can sit and screen the defense while kante can push up and press and support the press so rice was that player but unfortunately that deal couldn't be done but i think that in this squad lampard can find solutions and this is something that lampard hasn't tried but i would like to see reese james played in that role he can play in midfield he is he has that attributes and even maybe christensen could be an alternative he's played there for denmark so even now with five center backs maybe he can look at sort of creative ways in using the center backs as well so it'll be interesting how he solves it although jojinho is still a good option fair enough fair enough and uh, hopefully that chelsea side can click and you know get into a stride where they can just you know you don't believe, role teams. you don't believe that do you no i hope not but <laughs> i mean from the entertainment aspect it will be great to see uh, so let's move on from a team that's done really well in their in the transfer window to a team that Uh, probably a lot of fans would say haven't. Uh, George, I want to get your thoughts on uh, Manchester United's business uh, this, you know, oh. the summer transfer window. Oh, my 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 favorite team in the league. <laughs> in terms of transfers. <laughs> oh yeah, it was I I have very strong opinions actually on the United transfer window. I I don't see why there was so much hype around Sancho. when clearly i'm not saying you guys don't need a, a creative right winger or a right midfielder but clearly you guys needed something on the defense and this was actually noticed last season post lockdown when you guys were firing on all cylinders when you're attacking but you still see maguire getting magged by sanislas and getting absolutely taken to the shops and that would have i mean if i was a united fan but more more than that if i was part of that squad and maybe in the administration that that rings alarm bells either the defensive partnership is not working or i might need to rethink things i know they have spent a lot of money on bringing in maguire and i'm not saying drop him but i really feel like they should have spent a lot of their efforts especially maybe not money but at least scouting efforts in trying to bolster that defense i mean alexis tells i alex tells sorry i don't know how good he is I, i know he's very good in attacking and he has a lot of goal contributions in terms of defense i i, I don't really know and he's playing he was in porto so that also does factor into it because you're up against much more competitive people especially on the right hand side in the premier league uh 
Wan-Bissaka's okay. I've got no issues with him. I think defensively going back, he's probably the best right back. Uh, yeah, in the league. And so it's just fixing that hole in the centre in the in centre back, which clearly the board failed to do. And they brought in a midfielder for a role that you can argue was probably not needed. You guys do have midfielders in the role that Van Der Beek plays in. And who else do you guess? Oh, Cavani. <laughs> My favorite signing of the window. <laughs> I've got no idea. I think, I think Caleb, you probably have much more stronger opinions on that. So I'm going to let you take the reins and enlighten us about Cavani. Yeah. yeah. Usually we talk about uh, the man with the plan. But uh, I think Ed Woodward is a man without any sort of plans. But you know, you know what's strange? Apparently, there was a le- there was a news that's leaked that Solskjaer didn't get any of the players that he wanted. I don't know how true that. Yeah. But it that seems pretty true. Like, uh, so this summer as well, uh, Manchester United hired a PR person to you know sort of you know just get news out to the media a little quicker so that we don't you know look like an idiot in the media because we're failing in all these transfers. So they, he would come out and say that, hey, we're not actually in for a player when you were, or he would, you know, attract news and make news towards some players. So that's what happened with the Sancho thing. And that's why there was so much hype created. Eventually, it started getting stale and, you know, the fans started having a negative impact on social media, which the board did come back and talk about. What they should have been doing, actually, was, you know, like looking at what the team needs and the position that Solskjaer has identified. There's word that Solskjaer didn't even look for a centre-back, so that may be, uh, you know, it's just a lack of knowledge on his part. He's still a young manager. So we let that go. And we didn't think that Maguire is just going to become absolutely awful after last season. Couldn't have seen that coming, like, Okay, yes, he makes his mistakes, but the absolute shambles that he has been in the last few weeks, no one could have probably predicted it. So, and uh, the fact that we brought in Cavani, it's it's such an uninspiring signing. First of all, he was a free agent who, before when he was playing at PSG, was, you know, couldn't break into their team in the Farmers League, as we call it. And he was a free agent, and... No one else wanted him. Last day of the window, United come panic by giving the number seven shirt, trying to you know try to make that interesting, which is an absolute fail. He's 33. He's going to turn 34 soon. He's how is he an option for the future? Okay, I, some pundits are coming out and saying that Mason Greenwood uh, could learn from Cavani being such an experienced striker and doing it at the level that he's done. But is that the vision for the club? It seems like we've given up. Imagine, imagine, imagine giving a player who couldn't break into at United. The number seven shirt at United is the most, you know, revered shirt in all of world football, in my opinion. Like, just think about the people that have worn it. Bob, Michael Owen, and uh, as much as Valencia did for the club, Valencia. So it's become a mockery that shirt. The shirts become a mockery. The club has become a mockery. There's no planning. There's no desire from the board or the owners to do more and back the manager. There's reports now saying that United are looking to bring in Poch. I feel like the same thing is going to happen again. Poch will come in. He'll need backing in his first window. He might reach a level where you know you have to improve the squad because everybody else around you is improving the squad. And then the United board go back into their shell Trying to sting out this Teller's deal as well. It took so long. We could have had Teller's in for those games against Brighton and uh, Spurs if the yeah, board would just move a little faster. I think there was an issue with the transfer fee where you, the United board was trying to shade off, I think, five men from. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's very right. embarrassing at the point. He was already just like, what, 15 mil? Uh, Okay, yeah, five mil for me and you is like a lot of money, but this is Manchester United, the richest club in the world, or so be it. So it shouldn't be a problem to get these these type of players in, especially tellers coming in from Porto. It shouldn't be so hard. Uh, 
they've just failed again. They've let the fan base down. And uh, I'm not really positive about the season moving forward. Hopefully, there's just a mentality shift when these players, you know, get a kick up the backside and say, okay, we have to go with this team. Let's make the best of it. That's all I can hope. It's probably an unpopular opinion. I, I don't know. But I feel that one of the reasons why things got so bad is that Sosha kind of implied at the end of last season that he was planning to build his team around Pogba and he still felt that this is the team that it's going to be all for Pogba, everything that we're going to do. And I don't know that he... Clearly, if that man can perform at his potential, he is a different beast. And I do believe that at some point in his career before he had the potential to be he was on par with Kevin De Bruyne of the world. But I don't think he will ever reach that potential anymore. And we've said, I've said this in previous podcasts. And I think that he's kind of backed up against a wall here because he's openly come out and said that Paul Pogba was extremely happy at the club. He's going to stay. And he did stay throughout the summer, probably because no one could afford him. But regardless, he did stay. And he, he, He's come out and said that he's. This is it for him. He's gonna be a superstar here, but I, I don't see it. And I think you can't really drop him now from the squad anymore because you openly come out and said it. But I don't know. That's just my opinion. Probably. probably. No. When you talk about Pogba, though, we we can clearly see that the the player is there, the talent is there. It's just it really is the motivation and the play. There's no fire in him at the moment, and that has to go back in. To Solskjaer and the coaching staff, they have to inspire him and you know make him understand that he is the cornerstone of that team because he obviously has this potential. Him and Bruno and like a decent midfielder alongside is top three midfields in the league shadow without a shadow of a doubt. I'm sure you guys can agree on that. So it's just how they, how a manager or the coaching staff bring that out in the player, and uh, that's why I think. Klopp and Guardiola get so much out of their players. Like, okay, yes, Bernardo Silva is a really good player, but the way he, you know, has he puts his like life on the line almost. You can see that in the way he plays his game. Uh, so managers can bring that out. Solskjaer has to still hone in those skills. And uh, if not, maybe if he's not up to the mark, he's probably going to get sacked this season again. It's just the cycle that we're going through right now. Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm worried about the team, but again, they are my team, and I'll uh, back all the men, even Cavani. Within uh, the only thing that I disagree with is that I still feel that right wing was a priority and is still a priority. I don't think Greenwood is the solution at right wing, and someone like Sancho or someone else should have been signed. Now with the Cavani signing. It means that uh, supposing that he is the first choice centre forward from now on, it surely brings Greenwood to, you know, down the pecking order as number three after Martial. And surely one of Martial or uh, Greenwood can only play on the right wing whenever Cavani is there. So, so yeah, uh, I just wanted to cut in there. Uh, yeah. First of all, let's fucking hope that that doesn't happen, that Cavani starts for United, that's going to be an absolute shambles. First of all, uh, he hasn't played for a while. He's had a lot of injuries in the last 18 months. His family had COVID as well. He hasn't been training. So, I don't think we're going to see him for the next few game weeks. Yeah, that's uh, true. But I guess and once he starts back, coming in, yeah. I, I really can't, I can't see that happen. Uh, I, I feel like he's cover for the team. Like, he would be He's brought in in the same role that Igalo would be brought in, brought in for, but he's leaps and bounds better than Igalo. He can't displace any of that front three. That If that happens, that's an absolute shambles. And uh, I feel there are going to be riots outside Old Trafford. Uh, I'm not even joking. The United fans are already like really pissed off about the business side of this. But if that happens, it's a clear impact on Ole's managerial uh, you know, skills and his knowledge, I would say Cavani can't go into that first team unless there's a massive drop in form or there's injuries or, you know, just for rotations. 
I agree that he's not going to be match fit for the next few weeks at least. I think he's isolating right now and he has to get up to match fitness. But I sort of see Cavani starting in that team with Martial and Rashford on the wings. Probably Greenwood is the one who makes way. Yeah, and I don't think actually that Greenwood would get the axe out of that team. Uh, Martial probably would. Because under Ole, he's transitioned completely to an out-and-out striker, linking with the other two. Uh, but we rarely see, we do see him drift to the left, but he is very central uh, in his game. And uh, I, I haven't seen Marcel play over the right. I don't think he's comfortable there. If we do see some rotation, it's probably then Rashford getting kicked out. The thing is that Mason can play on either side. He's not getting out of the team. The only thing I can see is he's a young lad and he'll need to, uh, you know, just not be overused or overworked. But I do see him start the majority of our games moving forward. The front three itself of Rashford, Martial and Greenwood. Even when Cavani is completely fit. Hopefully, uh, I guess, yeah, there is an option that Cavani can come in. I'm just like <laughs> trying to shut that down and... <laughs> Just like not even have the possibility in my mind to even think about it. Yeah, but uh, like I just want to go back to one of George's points. How Ole wanted to build the team around Pogba, but I don't think we've seen that because Pogba's best position would be sort of where Bruno plays, and clearly Bruno is favored in that position. So the only way I think he can build the team around Pogba will be to shift him to the number ten role, and maybe Bruno is shipped wide. But we haven't seen that at all in this season or last season. So I think Pogba is the sort of player you can build a team around. But I don't see United doing it, and he's sort of relegated to the deeper midfield role. And I don't think he's all that comfortable, or he even likes playing in that role. I don't think we're going to see Pogba in like a six, but probably an eight, uh, and Fernandez at the ten. Uh, that seems like. How it should be. It just depends on who's running that DM role. If it's Matic, we lack some mobility there. If it's Fred, we lack some composure there. McTominay can't play the role, so we should have probably looked into that CDM CDM role again. Uh, yeah, I would have gone for NDD. Fred. Fred is probably the best bet to play. Yeah, just just because he's a bit more tenacious and mobile, uh, I would play Fred. Yeah, he he but, actually yeah. attempts forward passes. Yeah, and he's a uh, Passes. Yeah, well, we do have an option, but I, I'm like I said again, I would really like to see us just somehow get fourth. I would be happy about that. I okay, I think we spent too much time on United, like we always do. So let's move on to another team that's done really well, and which is, which is Tottenham Hotspur. George, you want to take the lead on this one? Yeah, why not? Tottenham Hotspur. I think from a Spurs fan point of view, I think it was such a brilliant transfer window. You got your old, you know, best buddy back in town. <laughs> number one, number one golfer. And like, it's, I mean, it, it, I mean, that signing alone probably made every single Spurs fans transfer window. Um. Other than that, I think they they did get a couple of defensive signings in the form of Doherty and Hoybier, which is all, which and from their recent performances, I've been pretty impressed with the pair of them. Um, I think they're, they're both Premier League experienced defenders. I'm oh, sorry, defensive players, and um, that that really shows. I think I, when you're when you're a Premier League club to invest in another. Investing players that have already played in the Premier League is uh, is a real uh, benefit uh, when when you bring the players in because there's a lot of things that you have to learn that you learn on the job and the job being playing in the Premier League. So I think both of them are pretty adapted to the system pretty well. And Regulion, I haven't honestly I haven't seen him play properly. I've only seen him play in the League Cup. I didn't see the United game. Uh, but I did see him, uh, Meg Greenwood. <laughs> uh, but so I, I from 
from that point of view, um, I, I think he should be a very good attacking signing for uh, Tottenham. So I think exciting times on the, on the whole for Spurs. You've got now a front three of Son, Kane and Bale. And when you're in a counter-attacking side to have that kind of you know, pace as well as you know, passing ability in the form of Kane, who's going to drop deep and just going to feed these killer balls into the two of them. I think we're going to see a lot of Spurs goals and a lot of lot more emphatic score lines than just five one and six two. So yeah, exciting times for the Spurs fan. Yeah, what I liked most about Spurs business was how they brought in finally a backup striker. So for I, I don't know how long. For so long, they've not had a recognized backup striker to Kane. If Kane gets injured, it's basically like all hope is lost. And last season, towards the end of last season, both Kane and Son were injured and Tottenham were struggling. And as you mentioned, George, uh, two Premier League quality players in Hoiberg and Doherty was brought in and was relatively cheap. Like Usually you see Premier League clubs playing hardball with each other, but Tottenham managed to sign them both for relatively low prices. They also got in, got in Joe Hart because I think Gassaniga left as backup keep, keeper. But the Reguilion deal, I like the player or I think the player is good, but the deal is sort of very, like it favours Madrid a lot. I think there's a buyback clause, which is why United passed on Reguilion and went for Tejas instead. So I'm not really sure if like a top club like Spurs should go for something like this. And with Gareth Bale, uh, I think he'll play on that right-hand side where instead of maybe Lucas Moura and the front three of Bale, Kane and Son is going to be interesting. It's going to be really, especially in transition, much like maybe Madrid, um, Mourinho's Madrid, we might see a lot of goals and transitions and could be a real force counter-attack. I uh, just want to touch upon Carlos Vinicius, uh, who came in from Benfica. <laughs> like, we haven't obviously heard too much of, too much about him. He's 25. Last season, he scored 18 goals from 32 appearances in the Premier League. Do you, uh, this is going to actually, I feel like it's going to be a problem for Spurs again. Uh, because again, like he's coming from a different league, and and the amount of you know pressure that's actually put on Kane to lead the line at Spurs, which he does so well, is going to fall on this guy because Kane is inevitably going to get injured at some point of the season, and I hopefully he can do well, but I really think they're going to have problems once again where Son will have to start taking in the reins, like he always does. Yeah, like his... Uh, yeah, I haven't seen much of him either, other than the stats. But, uh, like, as you said, if Kane's not injured, this guy's not getting a game, for sure. Like, how Mourinho plays, Kane's going to start. And Kane is the sort of player that wants to start every single game. Like, I think Tottenham had seven games in 14 days or something last month. Or, yeah, last month. And Kane started, I think, almost everyone except the game against Chelsea. So, I think Vinicius is brought in sort of as a backup option and nothing more than that. And maybe in the more important games, we might still see Son up front, as you mentioned. Okay, and then let's before we, go ahead. Before we just move away from Spurs, one thing yeah. that I wanted to touch upon was they brought in six people. Right. And then if we don't include Joe Hart, because he's not going to play, you've got five people. And if Regul- if Regulion's like more or less a loan deal like Vishnu described, that means three out of your five players that you brought in are technically on loan. And you just got two permanent players. Now, I know there's an argument which says that, hey, Gareth Bale's probably going to, you know, become permanent. But like, imagine if he doesn't, or let's say, and Madrid decide to keep him, etc. That means you, even if you have a really good season, you still risk of this team falling apart and whatever you've built in a couple of seasons. So I think that that's probably a worry for them because 
they can't find the stable system that going to suit them and they're not going to find players that are going to stick around and that's probably one of the you know the not the good the adverse effects maybe that you could have by bringing that many loan players or proportion of loan players in your transfer window yeah i understand i understand what you're saying like i th- but the thing to notice uh, morinho doesn't usually stay for long so he usually buys players for the here and now so i don't think he's looking too far down the line as long as they can get spurs in the champions league i think he counts it as a win and maybe as you said it might be problematic couple of years down the line but i don't think he's going to be there when that time comes yeah yeah and bale's probably going to say like we said before carlos vinicius the thing is daniel levy uh, spurs uh, chairman is a very shrewd businessman and he's really good at his transfer deals and the fact that he could wriggle bale out of madrid shows that shows something that a lot of other clubs and other chairmen couldn't do for a long long time bale's been trying to get there now with so that's probably going to go through regulon's probably going to be there for the three seasons before you know if he starts hitting the mark that where mcgre thinks they he will hit the potential where they would bring him back three or four seasons at spurs like vishnu said mourinho is going to be out of the door he's not going to finish it so uh, i i do feel that they're going to retain most of their loan players uh, just because of their business prowess and they probably going to strengthen even further going forward once they pay off that stadium and uh, on that deafening silence we'll move on to <laughs> aston villa now you got to um, love an awkward silence then you yeah deafening silence you got to you got to prevent those from happening that's on you yeah so yeah that is on me i will, i thought someone was going to say something but well <laughs> Swiftly moving on to <laughs> Aston Villa now, who's second in the league against all odds. They've done some really good business, in my opinion. Uh, Ollie Watkins scoring a hat trick against Liverpool. Emiliano Martinez did brilliant things for Arsenal at the end of. Which I think is a really exciting signing, pairing up with Jack Grealish. what do you guys think about uh, the new aston villa feel like yeah i i like aston villa i like them last season just because the way they play but there were clear weaknesses especially defensively and but somehow weirdly post lockdown they were really good defensively even without any signings and now in the in this transfer window they bought in a goalkeeper in emi martinez who i thought was brilliant when he came on for Leno towards the end of last season for Arsenal and they've also brought in a couple of championship players with really good potential in Matty Cash from Forest and as you mentioned earlier Watkins from Brentford Brentford actually I think was really unlucky not to be promoted and he had a stellar season I don't remember how many goals he scored I'm sure Caleb our stats guy he knows it <laughs> uh, Caleb wanna enlighten us with how many goals Watkins scored but I might have to pull it up No I I'm pulling it up I'm pulling it up just <laughs> continue just give me a second got me your card though. I mean talk about something else in between Yeah sure <laughs> I was also googling so 26 goals is the number we're looking for So And I think he I think there's a trend in championship players sort of adapting to the Premier League really well especially in the lower teams and we've seen that with both Matty Cash and Watkins performing really really well against Liverpool last weekend and Watkins essentially scored a hat-trick so we can't really fault him on that and a couple of other loan signings which are interesting is Burton Traore he I've seen him play with Chelsea he used to be a Chelsea player uh and before he was uh i think given to leon i think so from yeah, there yeah. Uh, yeah so he's been brought in he's really quick direct and very tricky sort of player and barkley is surely elevates the villa attack from sort of playing hurihan on that role and barkley coming in surely is a major upgrade 
Yeah, there was a bit of interesting, I mean, a really good link-up play for Barclays goal with Grealish. Look yeah. forward to seeing more of that. That's Grealish is already... Watkins yeah. and Barclays. Yeah, it's it's definitely mid-table, right? Maybe even top half. Pretty, pretty decent. Pretty decent, I would say. Uh, Bertrand Traore severely one-footed, though. Uh, I hope he turns out to be one of those Chelsea players that you guys regret letting go. Uh, so... Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully Barkley also. But I think like I, I think we're safe on Traore. I think he's already like 25. So. Yeah, probably. Probably. Well, a lot of people would have thought Salah is also not going to be doing too well in the Premier League. But we all know how that ended. So, not too much more about Asimila. But like they're doing really well in the Premier League. Uh, at least the start of the league. So, let's see if they can keep up with this form. And it doesn't look like they're going down. A lot of people would have thought that they would get relegated this season. I thought they would get relegated actually this season. I'm, exactly. I'm meeting, my, yeah. I'm, I'm meeting my words with a lot of my season predictions. I thought. Yeah. Happened, I, thought I think there exactly. was something I went against you, George. I said I like Villa. Yeah. I, I was. I, I went on the assumption that since they just scraped it last season, that they probably get the wreck. But no. Again, nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure you were not alone in that opinion. They became really good defensively. I don't know if it's some John Terry magic. I would like to hope so, but really good. That without any players and post lockdown, they improved very well defensively. John Terry's magic is in the bedroom, good sir. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a bit of that as well. You never know. And on that note, we'll segue right into the other side of Manchester, Manchester City who did what they usually do, and they bought a couple of defenders for £50 million again. Your thoughts on that, boys? Same same season, same same city. Yeah, I, I, I don't get Ake at all. I think, you know, I, my opinion is they got Ake £50 million. They thought everything is going to be solved, and then they got the wreck. I think in that... <laughs> That Wolves game and the Leicester game, they realized, ah, shit, here we go again. Let's whip out the wallet. And they went and they got Diaz, uh, who was pretty good, actually, against Leeds. Uh, They were, a lot of the game, we've analyzed this before, a lot of the game, they were on the back foot. But um, one-on-ones especially, I think there was a moment with Rodrigo, and he held up his, you know, his own pretty well. So I think I, I've never seen Diaz play for Benfica, so I have no idea. I've got no right to comment either. But I think that's I, I don't know if it warrants a price tag, but he seemed like a pretty good defender against Leeds. Um, the the last notable signing they did was Ferran Torres. He's a I think he's a very typical Guardiola signing, but not because he's Spanish, but like he's I think he can play both wings if I remember correctly. And that's one of the traits that Guardiola looks for when he signs players, especially those not in defense, in the midfield and his attack, who can, you know, play in multiple positions. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he develops Torres and how he adapts to the league. Um, but, and I, I don't know why, I think it's probably because, it is, sorry, it is probably because Bernardo Silva's injured. And, and then maybe when he's back, he would probably start over Torres. But I think that's a nifty rotation that he can do on the right side of the midfield. I, does Torres start for City? I really doubt it. Sterling, Mahrez, the options yeah. are endless I mean, City. In, in the present climate, he does because of... Okay, the, because uh, Aguero and uh, Jesus also yeah. on the ropes yeah, at the moment. Yeah, Nathan Ake is actually a very um, strange signing in the sense. Actually, he's a decent defender, but from a relegated side in Bournemouth, uh, he he's not British. I'm not sure why they this they look like they overpaid for Ake. And, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely. Is he up to that mark? Is he up to that price tag? Uh, yeah, he, they definitely overpaid for their centre backs. But again, that sort of a city trend under Guardiola. Not sure why, but. The only good thing I can think about Ake is he is decent on the ball and also he can play centre-back and left-back. And we know that Benjamin Mendy is not great and Guardiola doesn't really like him. So maybe that's another reason he offers cover at centre-back and left-back. But clearly Ruben Diaz is his first choice because he was bought in for, I think, more than 60, 62. 
ഗുഡ് I would give him that and his crosses are also pretty decent and he can dribble and those are pretty useful qualities to be a left back or a full back sorry uh under guardiola but his defensive ability is just shocking and I'm just so surprised that they haven't really done anything honestly I rate Zinchenko more than Mendy don't know why he doesn't play Zinchenko more often and he favors Mendy but hey Mendy's greatest skill is to you know get into these really good teams and pick up those medals he's really good at that so <laughs> i think we should give mendy more credit than we are, we are giving right definitely definitely but um yeah. one thing that i want to note was we do we talk a lot about the signings that come into clubs we don't we haven't really talked about people going out and one of the people that went out for city was david silva and he was uh, an instrument in that city team for almost a decade and he was a real influence and i think that hole is going to be a pretty big uh, factor when city are going to start challenging for trophies this season more than what he does on he does contribute a lot on the ball but that influence and that presence is difficult to come by and you don't just get that with money a lot of it comes from experience and i don't know if they've done anything to replace at least his on the ball effects and yeah, i think phil foden is probably the closest yeah. we can get yeah, but exactly. they don't but again very young yeah but that's a thing you see with city right like players as they get older even though they can contribute their for some reason shipped out i don't know if it's something that decides by the decided by the board like company was shipped out and they still arguably haven't filled his boots right they still are on the lookout for a app center back and similarly for david silva there's no one really who can technically step up and fill that void now in the couple of games that we've seen last season all of the burden for creativity comes from or is on kevin de bruyne and if he has a bad game that sort of limit city's attacking potential so not sure why they let him go i'm sure he could have played a squad role maybe this season maybe the next as well yeah it's a shame that's a good point that's that's a really good point i think we can safely say that uh, david silva has you know got into legend status in the premier league yeah he's, he's, he's a no hitters club I don't know about you guys but I I've got nothing against Yeah I I can't I can't hate that guy Aguero I can have a full conversation about but uh, <laughs> even though even though I think he's I like Aguero I like Aguero Yeah even I like Aguero <laughs> No the no they both are Premier League legends and stuff but you know I have to draw the line somewhere so. Yeah definitely I I would judge you if you didn't draw the line Yeah speaking of drawing lines uh let's I don't know how I'm going to segue this but let's just talk about Leeds now You could have said uh, I, you could have said like throw a line on Man City. That was a Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh I I'll work on that. But let's talk about Leeds now. And they've also done really good business and this would be the last team that we actually talking about on today's podcast. We might be able to touch out on like you know just around later. Uh for sure you're a huge fan of Leeds and Bielsa. I feel like you you can take the rain on this. Yeah, well, so a lot of uh, Leeds' signings, or be it permanent or loan, are players who already played their last season under Bielsa. So, Helder Costa from Wolves was on loan. It was permanent now. 
again the keeper Elan Melie from from Lorient is again permanent now Jack Harrison who scored that wonderful goal against Liverpool in game week 1 he's a city loan player and again uh, they he was on loan last season they've extended to the season as well and uh, what bielsa system requires is a ball playing center back who is really who has good positional awareness as well defensively and that was provided by ben white who was on loan from brighton but this season i think brighton opted to hold on to him and he yeah. started the first four games and he's looked decent so that was a hole that leeds needed to fill and they've brought in robin cock or kosh i'm not sure how to pronounce that but he's looked decent he made a couple of mistakes in the first game but in the uh, games after that i think he's looked pretty decent and another potential weak link was patrick bamford i know him from being an ex chelsea player but he always he's he works really hard but his finishing isn't great i think even in the championship he underperformed his stats by quite a bit but in the premier league he seemed to you know uh, come into his stride a little bit in the first few weeks at least but they've brought in rodrigo moreno from valencia again uh, he's a spain national player so he's he pretty damn good and one of the deadline day signings for leeds was rafinha from ren his stats are decent i think he looks good i'm not sure if he's going to start right away but especially with pablo hernandez being i think like 36 and currently injured i think that's a position that he can fill or maybe even on the wing as well he has really good stats for a attacking midfielder but again i've never seen him play but it just looks exciting on paper I feel like uh, Bamford has really stepped up his game once he's come into the Premier League, and it could be the fact that he's kind of competing for that role with Mourinho. Some uh, most of the sense, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so because uh, Mourinho was brought in to sort of replace him, and I think he will eventually during the season. But Bamford's form has been so good that Mourinho is now playing in the sort of support striker role. even when he's coming on he's replacing other players where Bamford is you know kept up the pitch certainly has to step up his game to keep that starting line in mean, starting position uh george what do you think about leeds their business and where do you see them like you know finish the season yeah i think they the signings like vishnu said were predominantly players that have already know the system so i think that really helps because it's a very intricate system there's a philosophy in place So you need players that already understand how it works, and it's much more easier. Um, probably my favorite signing, and probably my favorite player during that one of my favorite players actually during that Leeds City game was Rodrigo from Valencia, and he is an established striker in La Liga. He has international caps as well, and he has technical ball ability, and he's very good on the ball, which. I don't think many of the Leeds players have definitely not Patrick Bamford um when it comes to the abilities that Rodrigo has so I think that's a it's, it's like a it's like a flair or a, a, an added twist that uh Bielsa can employ and as, he, Rodrigo I don't think would replace Bamford but just play off Bamford or just play right behind Bamford and occupy maybe the half spaces instead of leading the attack and pressing the high line but i think that really helps and that when he came on it really changed the game and i feel rodrigo will do that more often in the premier league where he does influence games from the bench because of his technical ability and his attacking awareness and positional awareness and his ability to get into those half spaces so that's it's going to be pretty exciting i think that's a really interesting signing from a, a leeds fan especially to have that kind of experience as well on the pitch for relatively young side um with regards to where leeds are going to finish i have high expectations of them actually they have performed really well i don't think anyone thought they would perform badly they are efl champions after all and they are coached by a really great tact football tactical mind so i i don't think anyone had any doubts whether where if they would play badly but i think they have definitely exceeded expectations and i do see them definitely in the top half maybe 
maybe competing for Europa League spots as well. My only fear with this uh, Leeds team is with that, you know, the strike force of Bamford and Rodrigo is that the goals are going to dry up soon. We see this time and time again. Uh, Rodrigo only scored four goals last season for Valencia from 27 games. Season before that, 33 games and only eight goals. Uh, it, do you think this is a worry for Leeds moving forward that goals are going to, you know, it's not going to be as free-flowing later? We saw this with Norwich last season, who we all thought started really impressively. There was a pokey party going on as well, but the goals really dried up. Do you think anything like that would happen with Leeds? Uh, or is it kind of difficult with Bielsa uh, controlling that team? I don't think so. I don't think uh, like Leeds are similar to Norwich. Leeds, even in the championship, had way better stats than Norwich. And I think they're definitely going to be a top half team this season. So no, with, I didn't mean like is, a direct comparison. I'm yes. Uh, that, with uh, The goal scoring aspect of it. Yeah. So in the Leeds team, I don't think uh, there's a sort of over-reliance on Bamford or the striker, maybe Rodrigo to get all the goals, all of the midfielders and even the wingers uh, contribute to the goal scoring. And since their sort of chances are created from the press, that essentially means that the press is sort of the creative playmaker. So they don't have to rely on some uh, individual performances. So I don't think we'll see, certainly the number of goals will drop off, but I don't see uh, Leeds having a problem getting goals or getting results because the if you're looking at the XG for Leeds over the past four weeks, they certainly overperformed the numbers and it's unsustainable and you'll see that number drop. But again, I don't think it should be much of a worry like we sort of saw with Norwich where everything went through Pukki and Cantwell. Fair enough, fair enough. And uh, hopefully Leeds can't score goals and they do drop off and go right back down. That's what I would like to see as a United fan. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like you hate everyone and everyone hates you. I love the relationship that United has. Yeah, it, it does. It is like that for us. Uh, we get stiffed on the transfer market, we're getting stiffed in the Premier League. If I can give it back in some way, shape or form, you best believe it, I am going to. And... Uh, I feel like, boys, this is where we've run out of, you know, teams for this this part of the transfer roundup. We're going to have another part where we're going to be looking at the Merseyside clubs, Arsenal, Wolves, and some of the transfers in the rest of Europe as well. Do you guys have any final thoughts before we, you know, call it for tonight? Mm, I, think, I think we're good. We're good. We're good. All good from me. Pleasure. Pleasure talking to you, boys. Great. That was, that was such a... I think it's pretty late for you guys, so I won't harass you anymore. Harass? Strong words, Judge. <laughs> I think you should be admitting to harassment on a podcast, Judge. All right, all right. Can you just... Can you just that's, like, a, that's a topic for your therapist. All right, can you do the pleasantries, please? Okay, guys, sorry about that. And uh, thank you again for joining us on the Off the Line podcast. We have a new intro. Uh, I think it sounds pretty funny. It definitely, I mean, (laughs) it's a bit ridiculous, but I think it's great. And uh, yeah, we're going to be bringing out podcasts maybe two or three every week. So join us next time. And take care, guys, and talk to you later.